Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder. This week, cloning dogs. Good idea or crazy science? This one, you don't want to miss. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And this week, we have chosen to duplicate, replicate, clone our conversations around the topic of cloning. Cloning dogs has been in the news all year. It started out when Barbara Streisand announced that she had cloned one of her dogs. But first, as always, I am your host, Dr. Ernie Ward. I'm Dr. Cindy Courtney. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And guys, I don't know about you, but I've been seeing more and more stories around cloning pets in the news lately. In fact, I know the social media has been lit up with stories about rich and famous celebrities having their favorite deceased pet reanimated, brought back to life, cloned. I mean, guys, what is going on here? It's crazy, right? I know. And I came across this article the other day um, in sort of a news brief, a veterinary news brief, and, and it was really laying out this company, that there is a company out there that if you have enough money, it literally has surrogate mom dogs that will birth your clone dog. And my mind <laughs> was blown. I guess I didn't know we were this far ahead. Am I the only one that didn't know that? No. And I remember when you shared that article with us, the rest of the team here, and and I was pretty shocked just because, you know, I, I knew obviously that they had to use a surrogate dog to create the clone, but I guess I didn't realize or understand how many failed attempts were still involved in the creation of any single cloned animal. And that was pretty uh, kind of terrifying to me, honestly. Oh, wow. It's 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 terrifying on so many levels. I mean, yeah. this is like the hands made tale goes to the dogs, right? I mean, this is bizarro land. And if you're listening today and not familiar, basically what has happened over the past couple of years, cloning dogs has become a real thing. In fact, there's a company in Texas called Viagen Pets. And for the low sum of $50,000, you too can have your favorite deceased pet brought back to life. But Let's start with what Cindy brought up. And Cindy, I want to, I want to get into the, the actual embryonic fetal costs of cloning because it's not yeah. just like, bloop, here we go, and voila. I mean, it's a little messier than that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so um, I apologize, I don't have the exact numbers right in front of us, but there are a large number of both the embryos, but also the implanted embryos that that fail. And I, my understanding was, I believe sometimes there are um, you know genetic deformities and or congenital deformities that occur as well. And so, you know, sometimes these surrogate dogs are, um, you know, carrying pups that are never going to come to term. And I think even Barbara Streisand ended up having two dogs who were clones of, of her original dog, because sometimes you're also going to end up with more than just the one clone of your dog, because they yeah. need to create multiple embryos to be able to to give you a better chance of ending up with even even one that's viable. Well, right now, currently, the company Viagen states that it takes about a dozen embryos to equal one successful clone dog. Um, what it doesn't talk about a lot, and Becky and, and Cindy, I really want to get your take on it, is the surrogate mother aspect of this. Because mm -hmm. let's be honest, they are pumping them full of hormones. I mean, it is not easy to implant an embryo into another mammal. 
So, Cindy, what about the sort of the ethics and morals around the surrogate mother here? You know, I find that interesting because in so many other species, I mean, I feel like we rarely do this with dogs, but it is actually not completely uncommon for us to do it in some other animals in veterinary medicine. I mean, there there's certainly embryo transfer in horses and cattle, I think in cattle yeah. and, and other animals. So, so I find that piece of it interesting that, you know, we just more often than not do uh, natural breeding or artificial insemination in dogs when they're being bred. So, so it's less common. Um, I honestly, I don't know about you guys, but we don't do a whole lot of breeding or theogenology in my practice. So I honestly am not even aware of how often embryo transfer is, is done. Um, my guess would be not very often in, in the show world. I think there's a lot of semen storage, so you can do artificial insemination right. once a male dog has passed. But to my knowledge, I don't think there's a lot of, you know, saving eggs or doing, you know, embryo creation of champion female dogs, at least not to my knowledge. Right. So Becky, again, Cindy brings up some really good points. We aren't as familiar with these practices. I mean, outside of artificial insemination, I really haven't been involved with this aspect of embryo transfer and cloning. But getting back to the ethics of the surrogacy, right? I mean, I think that's one of the things that's not being discussed openly enough. I mean, we basically are taking a dog who has no choice in the matter and saying, hey, here's an embryo go do your thing. I mean, and, and pumping full of drugs. I mean, what do you think? Is that fair to that female dog? I mean, I guess I don't want to comment on something that I feel like I have so little knowledge about as though I have a lot of knowledge. So please, with the caveat, know that I have about an article's worth of knowledge here <laughs> and my eyes are so wide and my mouth is on the floor that I don't know, but I have to say it doesn't feel right. It right. doesn't feel ethical. I'm on the board for the Society for Veterinary Medical Ethics. And uh, right after I blasted this article off to you guys, I, I, I went to the thread with them and said, am I the only one who is so behind here? And it's exactly right. The surrogate mom part of it. I mean, obviously we have this embryo situation to be thinking about as well, but I'm just thinking about this mom and where did she come from and what is her living conditions like and how are these people registered? Do they have an IACUC? Are they, or are they just like a medical facility right. that doesn't have to have that type of thing? Are they research or not? I'm, uh, my mind is whirling. I'm sure that they have great answers. I, I, I wish we could have them here to answer <laughs> these questions and have more information, but I really think that we are walking some seriously thin ethical lines here. Yeah. It, it, the other thing it brings to mind for me is just the idea of repetitive force breeding. Because I think I, I try and take a different person's point of view and I try and think about it from the point of view of, you know, you know, pet, uh, PETA or someone who would look at really any dog breeding and saying, well, is it that dog's choice to have a litter of puppies right. in almost any situation right. <laughs> that we make puppies? Um, and certainly, you know, we're not often doing it in as induced away, but sometimes we are for sure. You know, if we have a really valuable dog and we really want that dog to have a litter and that dog is having trouble, I bet you, bet you anything that there are some hormones involved in helping induce that dog to ovulate. And they're right. checking that dog's blood to make sure that dog is ovulating before they breed or artificially inseminate it. Um, and then you think about puppy mills and I mean, those dogs are essentially living their whole lives in terrible conditions, just having puppy after puppy after puppy. And that and how many of those types of dogs, I mean, we're talking about bulldogs. How often are they having cesarean section after cesarean section to have their puppies? So I think right. like, honestly, this is kind of a gateway to a whole ethical discussion 
just about the breeding of dogs in general. Right. And and one of the things too, I like what you said. I mean, have we really just elevated this to a high-tech puppy mill type of situation? But yeah. on the other hand, are we playing a bit specious here? Are we saying we prefer that dogs and cats perhaps don't have these types of things done to them, but yet it's perfectly fine for cattle or, or horses or things like that. So I think sometimes as veterinary professionals, we have to be aware that speciesism does exist and that sometimes we apply slightly separate rules and ethics to maybe certain species and others is like, you know, I don't really care, squash that spider, right? Yeah, but I mean, I I guess I have to argue the point of purpose, right? And so I think when we are um, using AI in cattle and we're using AI in horses or, you know, even if we're using AI in in breeds that are difficult to to be breeding, um, maybe there is an issue with, I want to use this stud across the country and and it's a technology thing that we have Mm -hmm. and it's it's for the point of producing a quality litter of their own genome types right. to mm-hmm. go on and live happy lives. What we're doing here in this case is genetically creating a particular dog. And that is for an emotional purpose to serve the need of a person. And I think mm-hmm. that's where I get a little bit conflicted here is if we're trying to feed a, a, and nourish a population through good quality breeding of livestock, I think there's a difference than... I have $50,000 that I don't need and I want my dog back. Yeah. And I think the other piece of that is, is fulfilling that emotional need even for the person healthy? Right. Because I think we all know that just because someone is genetically identical to you, right? Like identical twins, it does not make that person the same person as you. Um, And that's where we get into the whole nurture versus nature debate, right? Like definitely, of course, I think we can all understand they're going to have some things in common. But I mean, we also hear stories about people who get these animals and they're not necessarily satisfied because they feel like there are some significant differences, Well, and let's talk about those differences briefly, because we're talking genotypes versus phenotypes. And, you know, Mm -hmm. if you ever watch that amazing movie, Multiplicity, (laughs) so you know, where the guy clones himself over and over Mm -hmm. and over again, and each one has a completely different personality. I mean, (laughs) we know that just because you clone your best friend doesn't mean it's going to have really any of the attributes that you so loved in your best friend. So Cindy, talk a little bit about that. I mean, you know, what are people really expecting here? It may look a lot like Fluffy, but it's not the same thing as Fluffy. Yeah, you know, and I'm interested in your experiences, guys, because I have seen so many interesting requests and questions that people have when they're mourning and grieving their pet and they want to hang on to something, really anything. Maybe you guys have heard the request for, you know, can I have my pet stuffed after they pass? Can I save my pet's ear? Um, You know, we try and do what we can to help them hold on to some piece of their pet to remember them by. But there are definitely people who feel such intense grief that they they kind of want to kick it up another notch. So I I feel like this is maybe another level of that. And and personally, I don't know if it's healthy. Yeah, I agree with that. And, And I'm with you where it's like, I know we're getting to various levels of this, but that was sort of my first thought was how incredibly unfair for the dog who now has to live in the shoes of 
this other dog. Right. And I even used to think in practice when someone would get, you know, fluffy number one passes away and then they would bring in their next big identical dog that they've named the identical thing. I know, I know. Fluffy number two. And I'm like, oh, here's the thing. That's not fair for your dog. And so, you know, I, I, I the first thing I thought about was that poor dog who doesn't get to be the dog it is meant to be because it's supposed to be living this other life. Now, the proponents of these types of technologies will argue that, hey, look, in we're doing this to make money so that we can continue our R&D efforts because we would like to be able to rescue extinct or nearly extinct animals. They say, you yeah. know, look, this is only going to help maybe with the understanding of genetic disease in humans. I mean, it sounds to me like it's still $50,000 a dog. I mean, Cindy, what do you think? I mean, is does that does do their arguments hold merit? So, and again, I think the question is you can do some really good things, but that doesn't mean you're doing it in the right way. So I, I guess I'm not in the ends justify the means kind of person. So I think you have to look at the process on its own and see what the merits of the process are first. Yeah. Because again, if you're being exploitative of these people who are grieving, I, I don't think that that's fair. Um, just in the same way, I think that you could come up with a alternative treatment for something, but you still need to go through the proper channels and trials to make sure that that works before you start charging people large amounts of money to tell them that you have a medication that could save their kid or their dying relative. Well, guys, I'd like to share with you something that Viagen Pets has on their website, and I'd like to get your opinion on if you believe this is true or not. It says, we know that many dog owners have questions about cloning dogs. Uh, yeah. A clone dog is simply a genetic twin of your dog born at a later date. Fair enough. The clone twin will share many of the key attributes of your current dog, often including intelligence, temperament, and appearance. The genetic identity of clone dogs is identical to the original dogs. Dog cloning does not involve any changes to the genes of your dog. Clone dogs live full, healthy, and happy lives and are no more susceptible to health problems than any other dogs. Guys, what do you think? It's interesting. I, I guess I'm curious to know if all of those things hold water. I would wonder that they don't. Um, <laughs> my understanding was at least some of the first cloned animals did not live quite as long. So I, right. I guess I'm curious about that. Um, there's a really fascinating book for any book nerds who are listening called One in the Same that talks a bit about um, just identical twins living together. And it does touch on some of the twin studies. There are quite extensive amount of twin studies that look at fraternal versus identical twins and do some comparison to try and gauge how much of different traits are inherited versus kind of the result of environment. And while I do think some of those character traits are you know, associated with heredity. And so maybe that's where they're making the claim from. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I don't think they've necessarily done all those studies in dogs. Yeah. No. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking like, are there enough of these dogs out there to really have solid, confident numbers? And, right. you know, and, and I think if we're working toward scientific discovery, that's wonderful. But give me more information about what those things look like. And and, and you're exactly right. We all know sets of identical twins. Well, well, maybe we don't all, but most of us do, who are totally different people. I have two dogs that were born from the same litter. They were the only two dogs on board. They're totally different dogs. I, I just can't wrap my head around this being... Uh, 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 meeting the needs that people maybe think when they're walking into. And one thing that's kind of coming into the back of my mind is I, I wonder what sort of counseling, um, 
application process there is for this? I mean, is this as easy as plunk down $50,000 or, yeah. you know, are we evaluating the emotional and mental state of the person and, and helping them to understand that this isn't a, a, taking advantage of a time period of grief? And one thing too, you know, the role of celebrity influence, because really this got on my radar. I made a little video about it when the Barbara Streisand dog cloning story broke. And Cindy, as you were alluding to earlier, you know, not only was one dog produced, but actually five clone dogs were in that litter. Uh, oddly enough, or surprisingly enough, based on what Viagen wrote, the runt of the litter died very early. So Barbara Streisand got four dogs for the price of one. Now, I don't know what her financial arrangements <laughs> were, but my point being that still here are now three clone dogs that have to find other homes. Now, celebrities are out there sort of saying, you yeah, look, this is my money, and it is, and you're free to spend it any way you want to. But now Joe Public, Joe Dog Lover out there is going, well, wait a second, you know, I really want my fluffy back. But maybe they don't fully understand all that's involved. There's a surrogate mother yeah. who's going to be pumped full of drugs who, as Becky alluded to, we don't know what kind of conditions they're being housed under and they have no choice and maybe they're being used over and over again. We don't know, right? Number two, you may have not one clone dog, but an entire litter that I'm guessing you're going to be responsible for finding homes for. And the final thing is... I cannot make a case in any way, shape, or form that would say it would have the same temperament as your pre-existing dog. I mean, so am I way off base here? Or are these sort of things we really need to think about? Well, and I think the temperament argument is interesting because, I mean, I think that's not totally off base. I mean, there's a reason we have breeds of dogs, right? Um, and this brings to mind for me how that plays into the ethics surrounding breeding dogs, right? So in human science, for instance, they have just inbred strains of rats or mice or all these animals that are essentially genetically cloned. I mean, they're so related to each other that they're, for all intents and purposes, genetic clones. Um, and so, and we know that there are certain breeds that are a lot more closely related to each other than others. Yet from that, we also end up with those breeds having a higher propensity toward genetic issues. And where did those breeds come from? I mean, arguably, it came from the fact that there were people who wanted to have dogs that were similar to the dogs that they had in the past, either because they were good at working or they liked how they looked or all of these other things. So I think it's interesting. I wonder if in some ways, too, this isn't an extension of what we've already been doing, except in a very, very weird way. Well, Becky, let me jump in here. I know your dedication and commitment to service dogs. Let's just play out a hypothetical. What if we could start to clone the quote unquote perfect or ideal service dog? Now, does that change your attitudes and opinions towards this practice? Gosh, it was almost, almost like a little just gut reaction I had when you asked me that, um, thinking about that, you make such a good point. But I think what my gut said in that very moment, when I think about that perfect dog is there is no such thing. There is no two disabilities that are alike that need one service dog. There is no one situation in life that requires the same dog for every moment. And, and so I think that I would have to say, I would be very interested in naturally breeding that dog, but I would really have to see a lot of long-term science to get behind this whole cloning idea. Well, one final thing, Cindy, I want to point out that the proponents of dog cloning are quick to, to note is that we may be able to create service dogs outside of like Becky's world, but bomb sniffing dogs, 
military dogs, police dogs. And would it be better just to sort of have an idealized form? Like you said, maybe it has some of the same temperament tendencies, maybe the same intelligence quota. I mean, I mean, is that the direction that you think this will head in? And if so, as a veterinary community, should we be supportive or, or not? You know, it's so crazy and it is kind of creepy to think about, like, are all of your police dogs essentially genetic twins? I mean, it is kind of weird to think about. Um, I do think about, though, like if you did have an animal who was a really excellent breeding specimen but was neutered, do you have that might open a door that you wouldn't otherwise have? We have said a lot in this podcast a phrase that does just tweak me a little bit wrong, which is the idea that we're making these dogs have babies and it's not their choice. And I would just kind of challenge everyone who's listening and maybe even challenge us to think how often are dogs being bred where they have a choice? Like, yeah. I, they're not, they're not, we're breeding them. Like F- feral dogs, so just, right. just something that <laughs> something to think about, like whether we're putting them through it in a way that is more stressful that to them or not, or at least there's some hormonal influence, or I think as Becky wisely pointed out, are they, is their own, you know, genetic future at least benefiting from it? I think those are all things worth talking about when we talk about surrogacy or not, but, but I, I don't think we're in any situation really having dogs breed um, willy nilly these days where it's their choice. <laughs> yeah. No. And I think you make a great point there, but to me again, I think there is this, part of my brain who, who, as you, you talked about my devotion and, and, and my enthusiasm towards service dogs, it is equally as passionate for the ASPCA. And I think about all of these dogs in shelters and yeah. how we see these amazing dogs being pulled and turned into police dogs and turned into bomb sniffing dogs. And, you know, I believe it's New York City that's got some amazing rescued pitbulls on their team mm-hmm. now who are doing Aww. great things advocating for an amazing breed that, you know, we're all big fans of. And so I'm sort of thinking, at the end of the day, my visceral reaction here is until we solve our own problems, we are creating more with this. Like until we don't have dogs sitting in shelters and being euthanized by the hundreds by month um, because of overcrowding, then I just don't see us, you know, genetically and scientifically bringing more dogs into the world unless, again, we are creating really good quality specimen breeds to carry on breed lines. And Cindy, don't you think this is another one of those areas that the American Veterinary Medical Association should be leading the conversation? I mean, right now, it's not. No, Nobody's really talking about this. In fact, you know, this podcast was, we, we said we need to talk about it because we weren't finding a lot of this being discussed in the veterinary press. And so, again, I mean, Cindy, what can we do to to put pressure on organizations like the AVMA and the BSAVA and others to, to actually say, we need to take a closer look at this. Yeah. And again, I think during our episode at the AVMA about the fact that we all as members have more ability to influence the agenda than we think. So I think step one is to inform ourselves about the power we all have to reach out to our representatives or to petition to have something put on the, the House of Delegates agenda. So I think that's step one. Um, I think the second second piece of this is to to ask for more information. You know, I just went to a really great lecture that the AVMA put on, a CE lecture that they put on about cannabis that was really informative and I think could spur potential action. You know, they talked about where the law was. They talked about where the law may be going. They talked about the medical applications. And once you're armed with that information, it's easier to reach out to your representatives, both politically and within the profession, to take action. So maybe asking the AVMA to provide more CE on something like cloning, it's uh, 
what happens, how it's applicable in, in our profession on a day-to-day -day basis, how we can answer questions for clients. And then, so we can move forward and, and be well-informed to, to ask those kinds of questions to inform our local state representatives and, and things of that nature. You make such a great point, and thank you for saying that. Because, you know, I mean, I started this out by saying, I don't feel like I know a whole lot here. So yeah. everything I'm talking about is purely speculation and gut instinct and my own personal morals, ethics, and values. And, you know, perhaps we could all visit Viagin Tour the Place and feel great about what they're doing and realize that these surrogates have one litter and then they go home and they live with a, a family and 2.5 kids and live a great life. Right. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, I, I want to say that that we don't have that whole story. And so I'm, I'm glad you bring out that point that we we definitely need more information and and someone needs to be providing it because this stuff is happening it's happening around us and the more that we don't know about it the the further this process is going to get out there and then you know when we have things with like celebrity influence we know how well that goes throughout society so i i think you're right dr ernie it's an important thing for our professionals and our leadership in the industry to get in front of and to be talking about and to put in front of us so we know what's going on and are not speculating yeah, and I'm in no way dismissing this technology. What I am saying is yeah. I'd like to know more. And I think it, there probably needs to be a little more closer scientific oversight because right yeah. now, as you mentioned, Becky, I don't see where there would be any regulations to prevent you from using a surrogate mother a hundred times. You know, yeah. I, I just, because that's what's happening in puppy mills. Is this a high-tech puppy mill elevation? I don't know. Yeah. But what I do know is that it is happening today. As you mentioned, this is not the stuff of science fiction. We are way beyond Dolly the sheep. And, you know, in closing, I would just like to say Barbara Streisand on several occasions, she kept two of the four puppies that survived in the cloning process. And she's constantly say, saying things like, you know, they're so different. They have such different personalities. So I think at the end of the day, we yeah. need to be aware that it's probably not a carbon copy. It's probably a lot more like Michael Keaton and multiplicity. I think it was Michael Keaton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just go out and get another breed. And, and you know, I'm sure Mrs. Streisand listens to our podcast. And so no <laughs> offense, uh, we'd love to hear from you as well on your points of view. <laughs> We want to hear what you have to say about this. Dog cloning, it's a thing. What do you think about it? Have you ever been approached by a client to have their dog cloned? If so, what did you say? Should we be recommending this? Should we be saying, hey, if you really love Fluffy, why don't you have it cloned? We want to hear from you. If the ethical issues weren't involved, which of your pets would you want to clone? Share a picture with us on Instagram <laughs> at Veterinary Viewfinder and get in touch with us on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder. We'd love to hear what you think about these ethical issues and how you think those ethical issues uh, relate to the way we're already breeding animals. You can also connect with us on iTunes. We'd love to hear what you think of the podcast. We love our listeners and we want to make sure we continue to provide the material that you're interested in hearing. You guys know that it would be my soulmate dog, Layla. But if you, <laughs> you could, click to subscribe, and then you won't miss one great episode of the Veterinary Viewfinder. We promise not to clone podcast after podcast after podcast. <laughs> Although they do share the same genetics, by and large. Yes, but they vary from podcast to podcast quite significantly. <laughs> Until next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Awkward pause. I liked it. Tons of thoughts. <laughs> yes.